nation. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. okay today. I want to give everybody permission to say they are not okay. I want to give the black community permission to say you're not okay. Black people in general have to go to work the next day and pretend like they are all right. Black women in particular cannot say anything or they're viewed as angry black women. So not only do people get to piss on the community, the community can't even say it's pissed. We're sitting on a moment. We're sitting on a huge moment. Probably the biggest, one of the biggest moments in history. Um, it's a moment we've all been waiting for. It's a moment we've been praying for. It's a moment we've been thinking about our grandparents, great great grandparents, our parents, and us as people of color have been thinking about and waiting for it all along. We're sitting on that moment right now, right here today. What do I mean by that? People are starting to wake up. People are starting to have their ears open. People are starting to have their hearts softened. Where they're starting to see and, hear and listen to the stories that we're saying and the things that we're, we're lamenting about, the things that we're talking about on social media and realizing, wait, there's a, there, there is a serious problem here. And we can't let up. We can't stop. We can't get tired. I know we want to, I know that, that, that that's the thought of some people is like, oh man, this is exhausting. Always having to talk about these things and have these conversations and get in these uncomfortable situations and protest and post and have people fight back vehemently and they're on their side, but it doesn't matter. It, the moment is right now. We're in the moment where we can shift the future of our kids and our grandkids and our great, great grandkids where when year 2050 and 2070, 2080, 2090, they're looking back at 2020 and saying, that's the year when 
the people of 2020 that were living in that moment shifted and changed the narrative for, for the rest of humanity for forever. can't imagine leaving and not coming back and then having someone have to explain to my son you know who I was and that I loved him and that you know hi my name is Greggy, and I have a dad bod. Well, not in a traditional sense. In fact, before having my son, I promised myself to maintain my fitness, even through my journey as a father, and not just my physical fitness, but my mental, fiscal, and emotional, and even my spiritual. I swore to myself that I would always strive to be my best self, not just for myself, but for my little guy and for my growing family. This conversation is focused on that journey and the ways we as fathers cannot only get fit and maintain it, but thrive. We're not dead, we're just dads, and it's not over. Join me, let's redefine the idea of fitness. Let's get dad fit here on the Dad Fit Podcast. Greetings, greetings, greetings. This is the Dad Fit Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Amizio. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. And since you're here, let's talk. Today, I'm really excited to share with you an interview I did a little while back with music producer, father of two, Derek Brown, D-Rock Music. Uh, we got into a conversation that, um, to be honest, was a little difficult to have, but I'm excited to have it. Um, I say it's difficult to have because we, we, we had to get a little real with each other. Um, and sometimes we don't take full advantage of our opportunities to do that. I'm going to take an opportunity to be a little bit real with you. Uh, I am not okay. Um, it's it's weird to say. I'll, I'll, I'll honestly say it's hard to say I'm not okay. It's, it's actually a little freeing too to just be honest and say that I'm not okay. I think a lot of times people will ask how you doing or to say what's up and your response is almost I'm okay, I'm good. You know, they're ready to response. But to be honest with you right now, I am not okay. Um, and I think that's okay because the world isn't okay. You know, nothing really crazy happened today. It was a fairly normal day for me. I spent most of it with my family. Um, we hung out, you know, we're outside, spend time with our son uh, outside of my workouts. I was with them all day and it was actually really cool. Um, uh, but, um, around bath time, which is our nightly ritual, I get to do bath time with my son. Um, I was with him and something just kind of came over me. I you know, normal routine. I got into it. I ran his bath, got his towels ready, got his toys ready, got everything ready to get him ready to bathe. Um, and I was looking at him and just thinking about how much he had grown in the past year. Um, and it just struck me how lucky I am to have able to, be, to been able to see all that growth in the past year. Right. Um, and it was you know kind of like this moment where I was almost outside of myself watching the two of us. And to be honest with you, uh, I started to started to cry a little bit. I had to kind of hold back some tears. Now it wasn't like ugly crying or anything. Right. But, um, definitely got emotional and I started to feel it. I think what started to happen to me was not only that in the same moment, that I was realizing I was so happy to be with him. I also had to pause and thank God that I was actually able to be with him. You know, life is short. You know, I think we all know that we've heard it. <laughs> life is short, but it's, you know, and we never know when our time is up. But growing up for me uh, and for a lot of other black men in America 
we are constantly reminded that our time could be limited and through no fault of our own. It's really hard not to feel like black men have been under attack here in America. I got my first doses of that healthy fear of this system really early on. It was a half day. My dad took my sister and I to extra supermarket on Central Ave to get groceries for lunch. And my sister and I were just playing around the supermarket like normal kids do until we heard some commotion and ran over to see what was happening. And when we did, what we saw to our surprise was my father was uh, being arrested uh, and trying to be hauled off in handcuffs. And we started getting closer to the commotion, scared as ever. As I'm sure you would think it would be scary to see your father in handcuffs. Um, and watching my dad kind of resisting arrest, screaming to the police officers that he didn't do it, that he was innocent. Um, and watching the officers kind of respond in kind, right? The more aggressive or the more adamant my dad got, the more aggressive they got. And I can't really remember the particulars, right? But I do remember being scared as hell um, and being extremely relieved when he was finally let go. Now, my dad, much like me, uh, talkative, or I should say I'm like him, right? Um, really talkative, and he's the kind of person that in any store he goes to, he's making a connection, he's connecting with someone. And if it wasn't for that trait, right, that he had, um, I'm pretty sure that day my dad goes to jail, right? It was a store uh, manager that saw what was happening and ran over to the police and had to tell, my, you know, had to tell them that, hey, they got the wrong man. There was a, a call that had been put into the police that, that there was a shoplifter in the store and... You know, my dad, I guess he fit the description. You know, that day I was taught a really valuable lesson. You know, in that moment, no matter his degrees, the four languages he spoke, his employment status, none of it mattered. To the police officers that day, he fit the description. He was a black man. That lesson for me would be taught over and over and over again, right? As I got these healthy reminders all throughout my life uh, that in a sense, my life wasn't completely mine. And it could be taken from me for any at any time for one reason, because I fit the description. Those reminders came in different ways all throughout my life. Like in the third grade, was, which was when the first time I heard or learned the word nigger, because I was called it by a classmate who saw Roots the night before, or a few years later when I was getting a ride home from a white teacher and was pulled over by the police only to have them to come to the passenger side window where I was sitting to ask for my ID. And they sort of distracted me while they asked my teacher if she was okay. She was the adult. She was the driver. But, you know, I fit that description. I fit the description countless times in my college career. My first time to the Jersey Shore, which is like a rite of passage for any kid going to college in New Jersey. Ten police officers ran down on me and my friends on our way to a party and told us that we didn't belong there. Or maybe it was the time that I got pulled over on the same day the Trenton Times newspaper boasted about the police force's new arsenal. They had a gun that had enough firepower and precision that could shoot several bullets at one particular target with the simple pull of a trigger. I'll never forget that cover because on the cover, on that front page of that paper, it was a police officer smiling, aiming that gun right at the camera. In all those instances and this countless others that I didn't mention here, I was lucky. I made it home. No matter what scarring to my psyche, no matter what scarring to my spirit, I made it home. Making it home has been a theme since I was old enough to have that talk with my parents. Uh, you know, that talk wasn't the burns and the bees talk, but it was critical to my survival. It's the talk where they tell me that making it home was the most important thing. If you have been privileged enough to have never had to have that talk, I want to make sure that you recognize something. It is exactly that. It's a privilege. It's a black man's rite of passage. Basically, it's a survival guide, but it doesn't ensure your safety. 
it gives you maybe a better chance to make it home. I can almost hear my mother telling me right now, Listen, Greg, Greggy, you know, I love, I love you. you. There's some things and there are some things I need you to remember when you step outside, especially now that you are getting bigger and starting to drive. Don't drive with your music too loud. Don't drive with your hoodie on. Don't drive with your hat to the back. Don't drive with a cap on. Never leave the house without your ID. Don't go outside without a shirt on. Don't be out too late. If you get stopped randomly by the police, please don't talk back. Just do as you are told and compromise. Don't make any sudden movement and keep your hands out of your pocket. Do not run even if you are scared. Even if you believe you are innocent, do not resist. If you get pulled over, keep your hands in plain sight. Try to put your hands on the dashboard and ask before you make any movement. Have your license and registration prepared, but do not reach for them unless you ask the police permission. Your goal is to get home safely, no matter what happens. Get home and we can deal with it later. Just get home. Just get home to me. Okay, you hear me? I made it home, Mom. Mom, I made it home. All those times I left the house, and now I'm realizing how scared you might have been for me to do that, I made it home. But today, I'm with my son, and I'm reminded that I was lucky enough to make it home. And I say lucky because not everyone makes it home. Rashard Brooks, he was a father, and he didn't make it home. Eric Garner was a father, and he didn't make it home. Sean Bell, Deron Smalls, they were both fathers. They didn't make it home. And so was Alton Sterling or Walter Scott or Bobby Gross or Terrence Crutcher, Sam DuBose, Oscar Grant, Philando Castile, all fathers that didn't make it home. Donald Ivey, Deontay Dorsey, George Floyd, they were fathers too. And that's what troubles me today. That's what worries me today. It's not so much the fear for my life, but it's what it could mean for my son to grow up without me. And really how sad it is to think that in a few years, I'm probably going to have to have the same talk with him. A few months back, a friend of mine reached out and told me he wanted to discuss a few things going on in the world today. Derek Brown, music producer, father of two. We connected and talked about our journeys and our struggle to make it home. And I'd like to share that conversation with you today. All right. So this one, this one's a little tougher for us, D, and and I'm going to give a little background. And I don't know if you remember when I started talking about um, putting this podcast concept together when i started talking about having this uh this um dad fit podcast we were talking about um a bunch of stuff you helped me with my my intro music so i appreciate that i listened to that a hundred million times so i know that beat in and out um but when we started talking about it one of the things that was happening in the world um and sadly it, it, it almost, it's almost like i don't remember which one uh of the black young men that they killed uh, yeah. <laughs> that they killed for what seemed like nothing. Um, but we were talking about the the stress that was attached or the trauma that we were experiencing, um, you know, being black men in America, uh, yep. being a minority in our workspace, in our church or in our, you know, wherever we are, but then also seeing and having to cope with 
um, this death that just was like ever present, right? Because just because of the color of, of our skin. Um, yeah. And and I remember, I don't know if you remember how this worked. We talked about it. We we're like, all right, we're going to link. We'll link to have that conversation because we were both stressed, right? It was like, you know, quick yep. test conversation. Like, yo, I'm this is stressing me out. I was like, yo, this is stressing me out too. And then <laughs> we were like, we'll talk about it. And then I don't know if you remember how that conversation ended, but we were like, yo, we're just going to connect on this the next time that they Something. do this again. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Which yeah. is like a sad kind of funny, right? Because yeah. we're in a space where we just, we know what's going to happen again. And when we're fed up some more and it affects us again, we'll just have that conversation then. So this is one of those things where, you know, over the last couple of, uh, last couple of days, I've almost been looking forward to knowing that I was going to have, you know, this, almost this release through conversation with you. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's let's just let's just talk about it. In the last couple of weeks, let's just say in the last three weeks, uh, sadly within the last three months, there's been um, some big news about um, about killings of uh, African Americans by one vigilantism to police, <laughs> um, yep. and and all of them uh, came came through in ways that just were were hard. The, the most recent one, um, the young lady who was killed in her home while asleep. Um, to, you know, yep, exactly. Brianna, say her name. They're saying it. Brianna Taylor. Just now, out here trying to make sure that we uh, are being respectful of everything. But it's it's that one was tough. Um, the more news that comes out about all of this, inf- about all of this, is gets worse and worse. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing everything from bullets shot and fired through her windows. They can see evidence that bullets were shot through closed windows, through blinds closed, through through bars of soap in the bathroom. So they just <laughs> shot that thing up like Scarface. Um, and, and without regard, um, and yeah. that one is scary. Um, there was the young man who was running from the police and did it on Facebook Live, um, yeah. was shot, and then once he was down, uh, we heard the audio that they didn't know was being recorded from another officer who said, "Looks like that's going to be a closed casket." And then the one that probably, um, the one that probably, you know, it was like I would say the straw that kind of broke the camel's back for me more recently. Um, was the Ahmaud Arbery one that uh, the young man who was uh, and attaches to this idea of fitness was jogging. Yep. And uh, three men, or what it looks like, two, three. The stories are varying now. Um, yeah. But, uh, but men decided that he was a villain, and they went in after him, and uh, he's no longer. So rest in peace to all of those. Rest in peace to all of those who uh, have passed from situations like this in the last couple of years uh, um, yeah. that have just been kind of killing us. Uh, one thing I do want to say um, as I'm talking about it, and I'm going to shut up because this is a me talking to you and I should just not be just me talking. Right. But um, but one of the things I do want to say is one of the hardest things I think I found is that I'm in this pocket where I'm not I don't want to make it like it's about me. Right. Like Because it's not someone someone has lost their family member. Someone has mm-hmm. lost their brother, their sister, their coworker, their peer. Um, and I'm not attached to those people, but as a collective, right? And and black people, we look at ourselves as a collective. We walk past someone else who's African American. We know we see each other as a head nod, as an acknowledgement, no matter the space, especially when we are in the minority uh, space, right? That yeah. acknowledgement um, means that we're wearing some of this pain too. And I and I I want to be you know preface our conversation by saying we recognize that this is not about us, but there yeah. is a pain associated with it that I think. Uh, collectively black people in America are feeling talk to me about talk to me about some of the things that's been setting you off the last couple of days because I know it has been oh man it's 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 such a hard pill to swallow when you watch all these things that are happening man I mean like there's I'm gonna 
I'm, I'm going to start off being choosy with my words and the deeper we get in this conversation, I'll probably let loose a little bit more, but being in Texas mm. and, you know, Texas was the last state to abolish slavery. You know, that Texas was, had some of the most lynchings back in the day when all that was going on, being in Texas and then being in a state that, you know, still has very racial, racially biased ideals embedded in the culture of this state, seeing what I saw was just like, oh my gosh, it's just another reminder. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, I think the thing that's the the worst for me is like, is I think, again, I think about my kids, like you leave your house, me and my wife go for walks and jogs around our neighborhood all the time, or I walk my dog around the neighborhood all the time. Like, what am I going to be in a situation where I'm going to cross that wrong white person or a person, white supremacist or or racist person or somebody who sees me walking my dog and calls the cops on me and the cops pull up on me. Am I going to, you know, at what point does that happen? I mean, cause we, I'm sure you have stories. We all have stories as black men of times that we've been pulled over or that we've faced racism on whatever scale. And now that it's, it's more in our faces, it's never not been here. Like that's one of the conversations I had my mom the other day is like the racism that we're seeing on, on, in these videos and these small little microscopic, you know, pictures of the big, like little microscopic pieces of the bigger picture. This has been going on all along. People have been experiencing this all along. We're just capturing it now more often because everybody's armed with a phone that has a a camera on it. And I, I, I mean, it's just, I think it's, it's just really hitting hard because we're as a community, like you said, as a community, we're, we, we don't want to individualize it because these are the people, these, these are people that are in our culture that are are facing this, but we experience the trauma because we're watching it. And then you immediately put yourself in that headspace. Like what would happen if that was me or how would people react if that was me? I have not, I have no criminal record, but in my mind, I'm thinking like, if I got shot in my house, if I'm sitting here in my house and some cop thought I was a burglar and shot me in my house and you know, what would they pull up on me and say like, you know, Oh, he was this, or he, he did, he had to, you know what I mean? Like you think about every, every little bit and piece of the whole scenario and put yourself in that, in those shoes. And it's just like, it's traumatizing. My my mom says every time she sees one of them, it's almost like she could just eliminate the person's picture and put my picture in a name. Like that's how she sees it every time it happens. And that was a hard one to hear um, with this last one. She's like, Greg, you know, I, I try not to watch those things. Once I start hearing it, I change it. I, you know, if yeah. I'm on an Instagram page and it comes up and she moves past it because all she can see is my face yeah. um, in every one of those. And that, that was painful to hear um, uh-huh. to think about our, our past generation is thinking about it that way. But the future generation is one I'm, I'm also focused on now too, because yeah, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, my, my son is in this new phase where he is like all about dad, right? He's only 10 months, but it's like, he sees me and he's like, you know, come (laughs) on, man, come on, acknowledge me, come pick me up. You know, you got to spend some time with me. I can't imagine leaving and not coming back and then having someone have to explain to my son, you know, who I was and that I loved him and that, you know, you know, all, all, just, just all of that, right? How does that, how is that hitting, you know, how is that hitting you as a dad right now? How are you, and your son's a little older, so he's seeing this stuff. It's not, you can't hide him from it. Yeah. I mean, he's, we're, thankfully we've shielded, shielded him enough from this so that he's not like, you know, so he's not seeing it right now, right. but um, man, so I have to give it in context. Like I drove, I, I, since I'm a project manager, I have different territories all around Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week, 
last week around the, actually it was like the day after the news came out about Ahmad. I was I was in Austin, Texas. So I think we were talking. We were yep. like we had yeah. Yep. I was in Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a couple a couple weeks ago, whenever it was. And um I was in Austin and you know, Austin, like I was I remember telling you on uh, um, when we were talking, I was like, Austin's a dope city. It's like, you know, really diverse. Da, 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 da. So I'm in Austin and I'm hearing all this news that happened and I'm like, all right, man, this is crazy. You know, whatever. The next day I had to drive to Houston. The drive between Austin and Houston is about three hours. It's really like this. And during that drive, you drive through the most, it's very country, farmland, trucks with Confederate flag decals on them, like, yeah, you drive into the country that you, as a black male, you like, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the day after this that all that had, had happened. I'm driving through and I'm like, oh my God. Like, if my car, if my truck breaks down, I'm freaking out that this might be that moment where I face what, you know, where we're seeing all these other black people face. I'm six foot seven, 273 pounds. I'm dark skinned. Like I had a, I had a hat on, it's a t-shirt, but you know, like you, how we, and we can talk about this more too, is like how we're always in social settings and we're trying to make sure that we're as non-threatening as possible to anybody that could perceive us as a threat. Man. So I'm, I'm driving through, I'm driving through Texas and I'm just like, man, this is not where I want to be. And I was, I was, phys- I was like getting like angry that this is my, this is my life. This is what I have to deal with every day. And then, and then thinking about my son, I mean, it was weird because that trip in particular and then every trip thereafter, the trips before, not so much, but every trip after that last one that I told you about, we talked about just, it just it hit different. Yeah. It hits different. But, but even for them, when mm-hmm. I was leaving that trip and this last trip that I went to Houston, my kids were like, bye daddy. And I, and you know, like they know, like they usually give me a hug and, and a kiss or whatever. They give me a hug. They, they help me. They walk out and they wave when I'm driving by. It's usually just a one-time thing the whole morning. Like they kept running up to me, giving me hugs. Like, dad, we, we can't, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you so much. And I'm like, why are you guys being so extra to the point where I was getting a lump in my throat? Like, like, do y'all know something? I don't know. Yeah. Right now, like what's going on. But I think they felt it for me that I'm so like, I'm good. You know, take my life, but don't take my life away from my kids. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. I mean, like, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on them on, on being able to guide them through things. I navigate through these things that are happening. And my son is, he's five, but he's the same height as some seven-year-olds. When he gets to be like 18, he could easily be 6'10", six, 6'11", six, six, easily. He's a big kid. Yep. And then my daughter's going to be tall too. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about specifically for him as a big male, you know, and we're, he's a, he's, he's interracial, he's a mixed child, you know, like my wife is white, but he's going to have, he's got to know that, you know, it, they're not going to see you as, Oh, you're that's the mixed kid, or that's that's the that's the half black, half white kid. No, you're gonna you're a black male. He's gonna have to understand that. He has all the black features. It's just, it's I just want to be able to be there to help him navigate navigate through that as and, much and as possible. And ask you honest questions and you be able to try to give him some semblance of an answer, right? How do you how are you thinking about you just said it, right? You're six seven. When you walk outside, you know, yeah. when you walk into an office, now you're you said you gotta go to all these different locations and every location. I'm, you know, I'm a tall six, four and some change. You know what I mean? Not twice to seven, but you know, um, you know, but, but seriously, man, we were, we were on campus together. We, we know what that was like to walk into a room and then almost have to shrink yourself 
Yes. You know, so that others don't feel threatened by you. How do you, you know, talk to me about that right now. Like you, you're going to, you ha- you're raising a, a, a little guy that you know that that's going to have to do the same thing. How, how are we going to yeah. start, you know, letting them live in their confidence if that's, if that's what they got to deal with? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, again, a hard balance. <clears throat> He's got to know like what social, what social settings you can kind of flex that or not, because it's, if someone's going to feel threatened by you, I mean, I, I read a story the other day about the, the mayor from Minnesota. He's a mayor in Minnesota and he went to a bank to, to deposit a large, large sum of money. And the bank teller called the cops on him. He's the mayor in the town that the bank was in and they called the cops on him and he was dressed nice. And he's like, why are you, why are you here? And the cops were like, well, we were called the, that there was like some, some type of odd transaction going on. He's like, I'm the mayor. And they're like, well, we know that you're the mayor. And then they left. But the person that behind the behind the desk felt threatened threatened by this guy. He's like, this is this is weird. Something's going on. Or those two guys that go into Starbucks. Something like he's got to know. He's gonna have to know that he's gonna be in situations where he's gonna have to he's gonna have to put on his interview voice like Chris yeah. Rock said. Yeah. And you're gonna have to act a certain way. You can't you can't just do the things that everybody else does. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's there's kids in my neighborhood neighborhood. I can't remember what my wife called it, but they ring your doorbell and they run. I yeah. can't remember what it's called. Yeah. And. It's primarily white kids yeah, that do got it. a couple of nasty names for it, actually. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. And I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm t- I have to, she was telling me, she's like, you're going to have to sit down with him when he gets to the point where he's out, able to go out and play with his friends without us supervising him. You have to tell him like, yo, you can't do that. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. You I would know, never a million years think to go over. You know, you know what's crazy about it? And I, I didn't, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to say the word, but wait a minute. Hold up. <laughs> it, they call it nigger knocking. Um, and the scarier thing about that is I remember I was talking to one of my really good friends, um, uh, my really good friends he was telling me how he was a biracial kid and he grew up with, you know, both sides of his family, his white side of his family and his black side of his family. When he went to his white side of his family, they would go out and they would, they would, um, you know, the, you know, they would say stuff like, we're going to go nigger knocking. And wow they didn't see him as other. It was just something that they said at that moment in time, we're all kids that there was no blanket of race yeah. versus the other from the kids at least. Right. So saying to him, Hey, we're going to go nigger knocking. It's not a big deal until yeah. he gets old enough to understand what they're saying. And then realizes, wait a minute, I've been running with y'all. And these are the things you're saying, right. That all of a sudden makes a difference. Your kid's going to be in the same situation where these kids might <laughs> want to go Ding dong ditch, which is the nicer way to say it, or ding dong ditch. That's what it was called. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or they want to go nigger knocking, which is what that is too. And if and if that's wow. the case, right now he's standing there and he doesn't know. Like that's that's where it's it, it that's where again when we talk about whether we like how do we figure out what to shield, what to not, what to let them see, what to not. Like how do we have these conversations? You know what I mean? It's it, it's such a it's such an added piece to saying now you not only have to grow up in a world where you got to live with this kind of fear and this pain. But now, yeah. on top of that, to add to it, there's this whole other level of like it's just regular life. Life has its own pain, and every race, gender, yeah. women, men, everything has to deal with their own you know issues and isms. But when you yeah. add this this extra one on it, and and this one is a life and death one, right? This one yeah. is that's the saddest part about it to me is with this one in every instance, it's life and death. It's no longer right. just like. Oh, you know, I can talk to you, but no, this one is actually a life and death. Every black parent knows in America that at some point they have to have that conversation like, oh, you're getting your license today. Let's talk about what that means when you get pulled over. Let's talk about yep. what that means when you when you go on a date with this girl mm-hmm. and hey, you, you want to date a white girl. Let me tell you what that might mean for you, you know, with yep. her parents. And I want you to stay in public with everybody so they can see you and you're not to do this. And you're not like 
these layers yep. that we have to add on because of you know how we're seen in America is just it's just a scary thing, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I've even had that conversation with with my wife and she, and and even talking to her through about it, like you know, like how like that license, like you said, the get your license conversation, like some of the stuff that my dad told me, like her mom never told her. You know what I'm saying? Like she never had to have have those conversations. It's, and she's like, wow, I can't believe that this is what, this is where we are. But I mean, like, to me, I was like, this has always been reality for me. I mean, I've been pulled over. I was pulled over one time in, in high school in my hometown by a cop that did security at the basketball games at Scott high school. And he literally said to me, he, he pulled me over and he looked at me and he looked at me in the face. He was like, Oh, you're the kid from, you're the kid from the high school that gets all the dunks and stuff like that, blocking all the shots and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. License and registration. It's like, this your car? Like, no, nah, it's my dad's car. My license had my parents' address. The registration had my dad's name and, his, and, and my parents' address. And he's looking at him. He's like, is this your, he's like, you sure this is, you sure this is not your car? I was like, I was like, it's my dad's name. My dad's name is out. Like, like yeah. what else did you, what else like, do you need? My dad's name yeah. is Albert. And he was like, all right. And he, he went back and ran it and was like, like, you, ser- you see, you know who I am. You, why do you have to? Why do you have to do this? Why do we even have to go through this? It's just yeah. like it's stuff like that. It's just, it, we're gonna have to have those conversations with our kids, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and in those moments, you know, my brain tells me he wanted to make sure you knew uh, his power in that moment, right? I think right. some of the I think some of the hardest things to understand now is like with the Ahmaud Arbery case. I feel like, you know, when when I hear people say, "Well, if they're allowed to do," first of all, in in a place like Georgia, where there's that kind of racial history. You talk about lynchings in places like Texas, Georgia's, yeah. you know, that town and that area has its own history. If people want to do the knowledge on it, it has its own history with his, with lynchings and how many of them there were in that town and how late they were to the party when it comes to some of this stuff, when it comes to about segregation and all that stuff. So it's to crazy. be in a town like that and somebody say like, hey, if, you know, if three white men come to you in plain clothes and tell you to stop with a gun, you should do like you should do that. Like how racially charged is that and how ignorant is it to say in a town with that kind of history how am I supposed to now be like, okay, well, white men who, you know, you could, you have the right to stop me and, and tell me whatever you want in this moment and do your fake citizens arrest in this. And you know what I mean? Like, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to do that? But, but there's a big part of our conversation where our parents told us if yep. they stop you submit, right? Like yeah. if you get yeah. stopped, submit, give them your license. Don't disrespect. Keep your hands out the window. Try to stay alive and get home and, and deal with it. Like, you know, that's part of, you know, that that hurts that I feel like that's part of the conversation I'm going to have to have with my son as he gets older. And because he's yeah. going to be big, that conversation is going to be old earlier than he's mature uh-huh. enough to handle. Yeah. And 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 I mean, it, it can it happen at any age. I mean, there's there was that kid that got shot and he was like, what, 12 years old, 14. I mean, it can happen at any age. You can be mistaken for somebody who's, you know, who's fits the description, which yeah. is anything between three foot seven and seven foot eleven. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. as a, a black male, and 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 yeah, it's it's crazy that we have to have these conversations with with our kids. But the world is broken, man. Like it, they, the the fact that there's still people that really <laughs> there's a there's a mayor and uh or a uh, someone in I think he was in Georgia. That was or Alabama was calling for the for the KKK to do night rides again, things like that. Like I'm reading, like ever since Ahmad came out, like the 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 flooding of, of racially charged yep. articles has been insane. I mean, 
on CNN, like not even just like these like alternate news sources, like CNN straight up put that out that there's a there's a uh, uh, a mayor that wants uh, KKK to do night rides again, and he said it's nothing has nothing to do with racial uh, racism. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me! Like, it's <laughs> it's wild. They're just it's you know, wild. they're just some good people in those groups, and I'd love them to <laughs> be out and about. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that it's it's, it's hard because you you have to laugh at it sometimes. You have to have yeah. uh, some sort of release. Um, so I, I don't, I, you know, I don't want, and I don't think this is complaining, so I'm not saying it right. But I yeah. think there's also a space where I want to give people something. I know we're not the only ones in this space who are, who are, who are stressed and struggling and thinking about it and dealing with it. How are yeah. you getting past it? Cause you're still doing work. You're still going out there. You're still being awesome. How are you getting, you know, how are you taking it in and then getting past these moments? What are you, what are you, what are you using to get you back to your Zen so you can still be productive? In years past, my my coping mechanism for for dealing with hurts of any kind was to internalize, which is probably the worst coping me- mechanism you could possibly do because eventually you're gonna pop, right? So for me now, is I'm I'm airing it out. I'm when I'm feeling like I need to lament on 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 social media or to you know in a situation where I can talk about things, I'm saying what I how I feel. And how I feel right now is that I'm tired. Like I, I, I've been using that hashtag, I'm tired. And I've seen a lot of different people separately posting that I'm tired, that they're tired of having to be silent. Um, I mean, even even through the church thing, like I tried to start up like this thing they call Be the Bridge, where we would, where we would have um, conversations around racial reconciliation and talking about things. And again, being in Texas, and this is not a knock on anybody from that church. I'm just being, this is also a generalization of Texas. When you're in Texas, like, like you talk about anything race racially charged and you're immediately like met with resistance. Like, yeah. well, no, we could talk about anything else. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about, you know, guns, which is a big thing down here. You could talk about any sports, whatever. You talk about racism, you get met with resistance. And at this point, at, at certain points, I would get that resistance from anybody and I would I'd be like, all right, let me just let me digress because I don't wanna I don't wanna make somebody uberly uncomfortable if this is if this is a space they're not ready to talk about and now i'm like no i'm forced to have to watch people that look like me get killed for no reason whether they even if they did a crime you see someone that someone that's white do the same crime as someone who's black and the person matter of fact the person who's white can shoot up a whole school and kill 26 people and walk out with their life or choose to take their own but yet a black person can't walk down the street and eat Skittles out of their pocket nope. without getting so, so, so at this point, I'm like, I'm not going to feel bad for what I say when it comes to these racial issues, because clearly my feelings are, or, or, or our perspective as a, as a, as a culture, as, as, as a group, a people group isn't being respected. So now I'm going to, I'm going to step on toes. And if it makes somebody uncomfortable, that's good. Maybe you need to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Maybe those seeds need to have need, need to be planted for you to see that this is, this injustice is not right. So I'm, I'm speaking out about it. That's been the way I've been coping with it. I reached, I sent an email to the CEO of my company mm. about how I'm feeling, which again, my, my company, just the preferences is, is a Christian based company too. Okay. CEO went to seminary. I think he, I actually think he used to be a former pastor. And when I reached out to him, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this. I'm asking, I'm asking for you. This is an actual prayer request. I'm asking for you to pray for me. And this is why. And I listed out everything that I was talking about with, you know, we're talking about right now, the, the issues that we're talking about with race. And he responded like, oh man, I'm so glad that you did this. Can we have a bigger conversation about this? Mm. Like, and, and can we get deeper with this? And I'm, mm. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm just being vocal about it. I feel like 
if if we repress or we suppress ourselves and we say like you know we're not gonna you know we'll get we'll get upset about it for a week and then go back to business as usual then we're going to just continue to see things like this happen and people aren't going to awareness around it isn't going to grow and people are going to think that this is just normal and we can't allow it to 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 go back to normal at all in any way not possible not not anymore and i think um such such beautiful things that you said there just reaching out to somebody you know and allowing yourself to say we're going to be uncomfortable (laughs) because i'm already uncomfortable so we're going to be uncomfortable together we're going to wear this one um Uh, I I appreciated that. Listen, I I think um, we one. Sadly, I know we're going to have these conversations again Uh, when we when they do. You know, you always got my ear uh, if we need to get a couple of us on the line just so we can kind of vent about it and let it go. Uh, But I think it's important for you to continue to find ways to, to cope and deal. And now in this parental space, I think these conversations that you're going to have to have we're going to, we're all going to have to have, and maybe we find a better way to do it. Um, one that's more empowering for us than maybe feels, you know, than that doesn't feel, I could see this being a round table with us and our kids and, and having a deeper conversation to let us say, Hey, you know, you see what we've been able to accomplish. You're going to be able to accomplish too, but we got to talk about our history a little differently. So it doesn't make them feel less confident. I, I, it's, it's happening in my mind right now. I see it. It's going to, we're going to do it. We're going to make it feel different when it does. But, um, but um, I, like I, I wanted, I want to do two things. One, I want to say thank you yeah. for your time, you know, doing this with me, um, takes you away from your family a little bit, but I appreciate it. I think one of the things that hopefully this is going to allow, um, in the future, 20 years from now, your son is going to get to hear this and, and say, damn, my dad was thinking about me that much. My, your daughter's going to sit back and say, man, my dad was thinking about me that much. And I think yeah. that'll be a great thing to leave along with your musical legacy. You'll have interviews like this, where they get to hear your voice. And I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to be special and important as yeah. a friend, as someone who gets to watch you from afar, um, not only in your professional and musical space, but as a father, I'm appreciative and I'm inspired by what you do. Thank yeah. you so much for hanging out with me on, on this platform. Um, I know you got music music coming out in the future. So when it does, I'm gonna need you to come back out here. Let me hear some of it. Let me play some of it for the people, and then uh, talk about what you're doing when your projects start releasing. So I'm I'm supportive. Uh, I want to be able to use my platform to support yours um, when that when that happens as well. Um, yeah, and and we'll do this again for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. You know, anytime. But we can have keep having these conversations as much yeah. as possible. And and ho- and and hopefully, you know, when we do, they're they're on they're in better spaces. I think. Um, I want to follow in and check in on your on your journey as a father. Uh, I want to follow in and check in on your journey as a producer as well. Um, so this will definitely happen again. I thank you for hanging out with me on this platform. Much appreciated. I, I want to make sure I, I don't steal any music, but I want to play. Can I play your Can I play your song that you recently recently released on Spotify? <laughs> out. Yeah, can I play I it out for the people. Go for it, man. Fantastic. Then I'm gonna make sure I play that. I, you want to You want to intro it? Go ahead, intro it. Tell Tell them what you what you just did and how and how that's working. So this is Light of the World, uh, produced by me, uh, inspired by the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. Just came out, man. Just, just yeah. Rock out with it. It's EDM, something to work out to, something to run to, something to listen to while you're riding.
there is a lot to unpack in that conversation. But I'm going to save that for another day. Derek and I spoke for over an hour, and I'll share the other half of that conversation another time. But there is one thing that I did want to highlight, though. Derek said that one of the ways that he's finding some semblance of peace is to talk more openly about his frustrations. And that's brave. The idea of wanting to feel safe and not feel threatened or marginalized or just wanting to live should not feel controversial. But when you fit the description, it is. My intention when I started this podcast was to talk about and study fatherhood and fitness and find ways to educate and inspire. I'm thankful for people like Derek who are willing to communicate and share because hopefully, hopefully more people are listening and can be educated and inspired by his experience. If you're struggling with this or with anything, try not to hold it in. Talking to your family and friends may not be easy, but it is a start. And for those of you looking for additional outlets, follow Black Men Men Black Mental Health on IG, also Black Men Heal, and Black Mamas Matter Alliance for my moms out there. One of the other ways Derek finds his peace is through prayer and song. He has been using his talents to inspire others to pursue their God-given talents to impact the world for good. You can find him on all social channels under DROC, that's D-R-O-C. I'm going to play one of his recently released singles, The Light of the World, but before I do, This has been the DadFit Podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you for spending some of it with me. You made my day. Now get out there and make somebody else's. Love is love. Knowledge is power. So know yourself and be the most powerful being you can be. One.